this is a picture of the little radicals, as opposed to little rascals. Casey invented that. That's pretty ingenious. She's awesome. And um, the reason that, that, we're, that we're going over this is, is since we're starting this new group, we figured, you know, what are we going to teach on? So um, one of the ideas was we're going to start in the book of Acts or whatever. And that didn't really happen. We just did one message out of the book of Acts. And, and the idea of, of analyzing where the church came from, how the church was started, what we can look for in the church, what we can grab from the early church people. So we're going to be looking into... Uh, into that today, and see that they were a bunch of little radicals. They were crazy awesome. That's in the Bible. Crazy awesome is in there. And uh, I just really want to get into that kind of stuff. So in the beginning of the early church, so that's Jesus dies, right? They start up. God rocked the minds of the, the religious leaders at the time. He basically flipped over everything they knew to be true, quote unquote, and, and said, no, you're, you're doing it wrong. You missed the point. The Jewish people at the time would say, well, we're the Jewish people, we're, we're the chosen kind, you know, we're, we're the, chosen, the chosen ones, it's only us. And this radical church comes along and says, that's not true. God is open to everybody, okay, you know. They say, well, you can only come to God through the priesthood. So that's not true either, the veil was ripped. It's, you know, us and God through what Jesus did for us. And... And we look at that and we're saying, that is awesome. That is so awesome how the Holy Spirit was moving at that time. It is awesome how there were so many people coming to Christ, 3,000 at a time, and, and, and we're super stoked at it. But the, the church leaders at the time, they're thinking, you know, there's a new cult in town. You know, there's, they're teaching things that we're not comfortable with. They're teaching things that are obviously against what the Torah teaches. And uh, I, I don't blame them that much. Because when I read Leviticus and Deuteronomy, no one really reads it, but it's there. It's, it's, very, it's very clear that you're not supposed to do anything on the Sabbath. Jesus comes along and says, well, is it good to do good on the Sabbath or bad on the Sabbath? And we're like, that's a trick question. We're not supposed to do anything. And, and it, it totally ruined everything for them. So I don't necessarily blame them. And I thank God that I wasn't there because I have the, the personality that says, oh, I'm right. I don't, you know, you're crazy. You're a cult. You know, I, I don't want anything to do with you guys. I like the exclusiveness of, of our religion that we've started. And uh, so I, I just want to give them some, a break there. But the early church was radical. Radical. Got in a lot of trouble. Or I don't know. And there was a movement of the Holy Spirit that wasn't forced by man. And they were operating in this power of the Spirit. They were operating, going with him like a, like a river, I guess. And it's awesome. Um, they were changing people's lives for the better. Now, see, as a church, we can change people's lives, but it's not necessarily for the better. We have the ability to, to really ruin people's aspect or uh, view of Christianity. And I think they did a fantastic job. <sighs> Because not only were they, you know, healing the sick and doing stuff like that, but they were showing the power and love of Jesus. And that is critically important to our walk with God. And we're going to see this. Now, before we totally jump in to uh, Acts, there's a couple of things that we don't want to take from the book of Acts. There's two things that I think it's very unwise and a bad idea 
The first one would be, we ask the question, why isn't our church like that? How come our church doesn't look like the book of Acts? I think it's unwise, and we'll get into it. And secondly, the idea of let's start a revolution. You know, we're, we're going we're gonna to take it back. We're going to bust it out. Whatever. So, why isn't our church like that? I, there's a scripture in Acts that says, I'll paraphrase because I don't have it memorized. Basically, everybody sold all their possessions. And then they put it in this big pot, all their money, and then no one was in need. Everyone was taken care of. And I'm like, that is awesome. How come our church doesn't look like that? That's lame that we don't do that. Not our church here, but the church in the global church. And then the Holy Spirit straight up kills somebody because they lied. I'm like, how come we don't see the power of God like that? Yeah, it's awesome. I'm just glad that it wasn't me because I lie and God would kill me. And, and I was talking to a friend, and I was, his name is Turbo. He's a rad dude. And I was going, you know, why isn't our church like that? How, how come we don't see that power? And his response to me was, why aren't there more Nates in the world? I was like, he's like, isn't that lame that there aren't more Nates? I'm like, no, dude, we're talking about Jesus, right? What's, what's going on? And he says, well, well, what we read in the book of Acts, that's the birth of Christ's church. Christ's is a hard word to say. But he says, that's the birth. And, and why would we want to go back to that? Why would we want to go back to what the Holy Spirit has already done? So then, you know, I would take it a step further, like I always do. And I would say, yeah, so if, if, if I can look at my life now and my life as a child, you know, when I was a child, you know, I was without sin. Um, I had faith like a child. So it would be better for me to pretend like I'm a child. It would be better for me to start drinking milk and crawling around and whining. And that's pretty much ridiculous. And I would say that it's equally as ridiculous for us to look at, at the Church of Acts and say, we need to be like them. We need to go back. We need to be back there. And what I said earlier was that it's this movement of the Holy Spirit, right? The Church of Acts, the early church, there was this movement. And if we wanted to move back to that, I feel like we'd be in this gnarly struggle of tug-of-war against the Holy Spirit. We'd be trugging along this way saying, come on, why aren't you doing what we want to do? And the Holy Spirit would be nonchalant because way more powerful than we are, just kind of walking. You know, you're either going to get tugged in the mud or you're going to let go and go on without me. Why don't, we just, why don't you just follow me and I'll show you what I have in store for 2008 or whatever. And the second one, would be, let's start a revolution, that, that mindset. I think what it does is there, there's, it promotes this idea of this pendulum. It looks like this. That's what it looks like. And, and what happens, we are part of the Protestant church, and, and the root word for Protestant is protest. We, we get our self-worth from protesting. The reason we're, there's a different church down the street is because of some revolution that happened. Somewhere back in the day. Like I think something like in 1000 uh, AD, there's something called the Great Schism where the Church of Rome broke off from the Orthodox Church and then they became the Roman Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church. And then something like 1500 is the Protestant Reformation where um, Luther nails up the 95 Thesis. And then from there, now we have something like 27,000 different sects of, of Protestantism. It just snowballed on itself. So we don't like this about you, so we're going to start our own church. We don't like this. And I'm not getting down on, on the fact that we're a different church than someone down there. But it just bums me out that, that, that we're about protesting. 
So back to this thing. Um, we're going to look into a couple of, of these, the, this, this pendulum that swings because of these revolutions. The first one would be like the conserv- conservative versus liberal. Now, I'm not talking about politically. I'm talking about um, theologically, I guess, or whatever. And, and the conservative mindset would usually say something along the lines of, you know, truth is important. Scripture, knowledge, um, correct doctrine. These things are something that we should really look into, and that's awesome. And the liberal side would say something like, I don't really know if Jesus turned all that bread and those fish and fed 5,000 people, but the moral of the story is that we should feed people. We should feed the hungry. Equally awesome, in my opinion. So what happens is, is this conservative, this, this, this motion happens where we're saying, you know, we have to focus on doctrine. We have to focus on truth and, and knowledge. And then this group rises up and says, wait, we're not doing any of that stuff. So they push back, right? They're doing their thing, and they say, we've we got to feed the homeless. We've got to reach out to people. And they get way over here and say something like, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter what God you believe in as long as you're doing goodness. It doesn't matter what you call the God. People go, wait, that's not right. And they push back. They say, you know, doctrine, theology. And there's this pendulum that keeps on swinging. And it's these revolutions that, that are causing division and strife. Back to the Protestant um, it should be like pro-testament, not protest. We should be what we're for, what we're, what we're moving towards. The next one that we're going to talk on is works and grace. That is always a struggle. You know, are you saved by works? No. Are you saved by grace? No, whatever. So the grace people over here saying, yeah, you know, it's all God. You know, I can't earn my way into heaven. And then they end up just kind of sitting there not doing anything. So the works people go, wait, we have to do something. They're pushing over, you know, we've got to feed the homeless, we've got to do these things, we've got to work, and da-da-da-da. And then now you're at this point where you're saying, you know, if, if I don't do such, this, 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 and this, then I'm not saved. Then I don't know what God has for me. You say, no, it's about grace. And they push back. And if we could just hit both points right in the middle, right? If, if, we, could, if we could equally be relying on God's grace, equally relying on, on Him to... Uh, help us make correct decisions and be showing those works in our life, then I think that's an awesome place to be. List can go on and on. You know, are you assured of your salvation? Are you not? Bunch of stuff that, whatever. But you get the picture. So we're going to recap. Um, the first one would be no good old days. We can't think about the good old days because that's over and done with and no revolutions. But, I do believe that there is something that we can take from it, right? That the Bible, I believe, is the living Word of God. And I believe that God is speaking to us through it. So there are things that we can take from, from the book of Acts um, or the early church. What I think we can really take from them is how radical they were, right? The little radicals. And this part is awesome. I think so because I don't think it comes from me. I think the early church is radical in their compassion, they saw people's needs and did something about it. They would, if they didn't have money to give to a homeless person or a poor person, they just heal them. Okay, so I don't have any money, so just get up and walk. That is radical. The next one would be their worldview. They saw Jesus do things that would blow our minds. They had a deeper understanding of how the world worked because they actually got to talk with Jesus. They got to see him interact, and they had a radical worldview. 
And uh, lastly, they had a radical action. They were radical in their action, I guess I'll say. Radical. Now, I think this correlates awesome with Mark 12.30. It says this, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. See, the, the, the Pharisees, they come up to Jesus and they say, what's the most important commandment? Right? There's 470 of them or something like that. Which one's the most important? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, with all your strength. And I think that when we do that, we will be radical in our compassion. When we, when we love the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our soul, we will be radical in our compassion. And when we are radical in our worldview and the way that we view people, how we view the world, how we view everything going on, I think that that will fulfill loving the Lord our God with all our mind and vice versa. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength and whatnot, means be radical in these things. But I think that if we do one, then we will fulfill the other. And I think that that is awesome, that we can, that we can take a new mindset of being radical, being radical Christians, and thus fulfilling um, the greatest commandment. Here's a great example of someone who did it. Um, this guy's name is St. John Christossum. He's a rad dude. He'd probably be mad that I called him a dude, but it says, Every day the church here in Antioch feeds 3,000 people. Besides this, the church daily helps provide food and clothes for prisoners, the hospitalized, pilgrims, that's funny, cripples, churchmen, and others. If only 10 other groups of people were willing to do this, there wouldn't be a single man left in town, poor man left in town. That is awesome. That is radical. And he hits all these points. First of all, he's hitting the compassion straight on. He's seeing in his community that there are people that need clothing, there are people that need food, and he's doing something about it, and he's really investing in his community and the needs of the people around him. And secondly, his worldview, he goes from the micro, he says, you know, we're doing this, we're feeding 3,000 people. And, and it's going from the micro to the macro, where he's saying, if only 10 other groups of people would do this, then there wouldn't be a single man left or a single poor person left. And I would go even further, of course, and say, now, if only another state could do this, and then another state that we could feasibly solve world hunger. That would be awesome. And that is radical thinking, our mindset. And then on top of it, he's doing it. We don't know how difficult it is to feed 3,000 people a day. It sounds ridiculous. Our church right now feeds something like 75 families a week. And that is awesome because we are being the hands and feet of Jesus. We're actually reaching out to our community. And I think that is awesome. And those people that are in charge of that need our prayer, our support, and all those things. I think it's awesome. But can you imagine 3,000 people a day? That is, that is difficult. But it's acting. We're actually doing what, what our mindset tells us, what our worldview tells us what our hearts and our compassion are telling us, actually acting on it, I think that is awesome. I think we can be this radical. Not necessarily mimicking what some other dude's doing. Not just saying, oh yeah, we should feed 3,000 people. That's our mission now. But, but what is God actually telling us, individually or communally? Where is God leading us as a people? And I think that we can be radical in our compassion, our worldview, and our action. So now we are actually going to jump into Acts with all of that. Um, 
It's Acts 4, 8 through 13. It's a little tiny, but you can deal with it because I'll read it. And, and if you notice, it goes 8 through 12 and then a new paragraph starts. And all the commentaries I read basically said I should go 5 through 12 and then 13 on. And I said no, because you're wrong. I think it should go uh, 8 through 13. So there's going to be a little bit of an awkward transition because it changes ideas, right? That's what a paragraph does. But trust me, it'll be awesome. So uh, verse 8 goes like this. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is a stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which you must be saved. Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they, men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. So we're going to dissect this verse by verse, sort of. There's one that's more than just one verse, and we go backwards. That's a little sneak peek for you guys. Um, and, and we're going to see how we can radically change our views, how we can radically apply the idea of being compassionate, have a great worldview, and so forth. The first part that we can learn from, from Peter is that we have God's direction. It says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, dot, 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 do, 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 right? We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to have God's direction in our life before we do anything. Or else we're, we've got that tug-of-war thing going on. And I know in my life, there are times where I, I feel like I'm just pushing along by myself. I'm just like, God, where are you? He's like, over here. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, and, and, and it's a struggle. And I'm not saying it gets easier when I'm in tune with God. But it is more fulfilling. At least I know that I'm on the right path. Oh, that is where I want to be. That's where we want to be, is having God's direction. Now, I would say that this is the faith part. You know, do I know God's direction in my life? Am I acting or working in a way that God has designed me? Is the Holy Spirit indwelt in me? We're not going to get into the indwelt spirit, but, you know, is the Holy Spirit living in me? Am I, am I moving forward? Do I know God's direction? And I think it's okay if we don't. I think that's something we need to strive to, and that's the first goal is to see what God's plan is for our life. And when we get it, we go full speed. But if that's the, the faith part, then obviously uh, the next part would be the works part. I hate it when people say obviously, because you're like, it's not obvious. So it was actually, yeah. it's the works part. So in uh, verse 9, it says, if we're on trial today for, the, for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man has been made well, he's saying, are we on trial today for something we have done? See, first he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He has God's direction. So, of course, there are, there's an overflow of works. God's will is displayed in his life. In Romans, it says that God's will is good, acceptable, and perfect. That will will become evident in our life if we have God's direction. One will come from the other. If we're living by the Holy Spirit with what he wants for us, then there will be works. He's saying, are we on trial today for the sick guy that's been made well? 
I believe that we need to have some evidence in our life that we are on this path with God. Not so that I can show everybody how holy I am or look at me, look at all these good works I'm doing, but so that I know that, yes, God is alive and real in my life. Yes, I am on this path. And I think that's way better said in James chapter 2, verse 20. It says, But you are willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that's funny too, that faith without works is useless. And then six verses later, he says this, For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. That's awesome. See, if, if we have God's direction in our life, then there will be works that overflow. It's not the other way around. It's not we do works so that God's direction comes from that. It's we are in tune with God. We are going how God has called us. And there will be works. Or else it's dead. Or else we're not really following the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not in us at that point. Peachy, following. See, if I am a temple of the Holy Spirit, it says in Romans as well, then there is the indwelt spirit, then Jesus is living in me. Then I would act as Jesus would. I would actually take on the physicality of Jesus. I would become Jesus in a sense. And he was all about doing radical, awesome things. And I think that we need to take that on. The next one that that we see is the shout-out for Jesus. And... uh, in verse 10 through 12, says, well, I'm going to kind of skip around a little bit. Let it be known to all of you uh, and all the people in Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. And then in verse 12, it says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which you must be saved. See, Peter is, is filled with the Holy Spirit. He has God's direction in his life. Of course he has works pouring out of him. He sees the will of God in his life. And then he pulls the trigger. He says, it's Jesus. And that's where we cannot be afraid to do that. We can't, or I would say we shouldn't, um, you know, just be on, you know, I'm on my path. You know, I'm doing good stuff and, and never pull the trigger. We need to be able to say boldly, it's Jesus. Um, and it doesn't necessarily need to be like the whole message and this whole thing, it could simply be, you know, the reason I accept so-and-so is because I feel accepted by God. Really, the reason I do these things is because of Jesus. Because how Jesus interacts in my life, the things He shows me, the things He teaches me. We can't be afraid to pull the trigger. Now, I understand why, why we might be a little bit not necessarily embarrassed or or ashamed, but just a little bit uncomfortable with it. Um, I, I believe that we live in a culture where it's both acceptable to be a Christian and totally taboo and lame. Because on one hand, everybody has to have the religion. Everybody, you know, believes something, went to church when they were a kid or something, or, you know, they check the box, you know, they're a Christian. Everybody has something. Even if it's nothing, that's something, right? I don't believe in anything. Check the box. And... The other part is, as soon as you say something along the lines of, I won't participate in that because I don't think it's ever cool to tear people down and laugh about it. 
People don't like that. They're like, I'm going to punch you now or whatever. And, and as soon as we say, uh, I'm not going to talk poorly about so-and-so. It's not worth it. People don't like that. So, so when we do have God's direction in our life, we are seeing the works. And we then say the shout-out. It can be kind of awkward. But what a disservice we do to God if we don't. You know, then we're just cool people. We're just nice guys. I have a good friend who's not a Christian, but he's nicer than most Christians I know. And I'm like, dude, just believe in Jesus. Nothing will change in your life. You're already a cool dude. And, and, and we'll, just be, we'll just be grouped in with those people. We're just nice dudes. See, we, we don't need Jesus. You know, that he's already a nice guy. And it's like, no. See, I do these things because of Jesus. That's following this. And then the next one would be know the 411. See, the reason I did that is because it's Acts 4.11. Yeah. But 4.11, right, is, uh, is information. So you've got to know the information. And see, in Acts 4.11, he says, He is a stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. See, he's quoting Scripture. Peter, at this point, you know, he, he is filled with the Holy Spirit. He's moving in God's direction. He's talking about the great things that God is doing through them. He's saying, yeah, I see the will of God in my life. And then he says, it's all Jesus. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say, Jesus is awesome. Woo-hoo. He can actually point to Scripture. He can actually point to God's Word. He, he knows that Jesus is, is who Jesus says He is. Right? Jesus says, I'm the Son of God. Peter knows, yeah, He's the Son of God. And equally as important, he knows that Jesus is who the prophet said He was. And that comes from knowing what God has to say. Now see, if, if we have God's direction in our life, we're, we've got, we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we're moving forward, we have this action in our life, we're being radical for Jesus, we're not afraid to speak our faith. We're not afraid to speak encouragement into people's life, shout out Jesus' name or whatever. But we do it awkwardly or, or without the correct ideas or knowledge then we're like chickens with our head cut off. We, we might speak encouragement into somebody's life because it feels good when actually we should probably say, man, you probably shouldn't do that. That's, that's just ru- ruining your life. And that's because the Bible says this. Or vice versa. You could tear somebody down because they're making stupid choices when really they need to hear, Jesus loves you. Jesus accepts you just as you are. Jesus wants you to come to him. And, and here's how I know that. I think this is critically important because we, we're just going to be running around like those people on YouTube that don't know anything, that talk like they do, and you're just like, know something. And, and I would say that it's not necessarily just the Word of God. I believe that God can speak through tons of different mediums, and that would be the encompassing Word of God, how the Holy Spirit speaks to us individually, how He speaks to us through different speakers and prophets. I think that we just need to know what God desires, what God likes. And how do we know that if, if we're just looking at our culture? Because our culture doesn't tell us God's plan or God's desire and that kind of stuff. I've got a quick little story about um, this uh, teacher at this, this Christian school or some dean or something. I don't really know the whole story. And this comedian, the secular comedian, he, he's interviewing him. 
And he says to this teacher, he says, you know, what, what does it take to get into heaven? So he simply says, you know, just believe in Jesus. And, you know, the laugh track goes off. Everyone's laughing. Ha, 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 so funny. You know, what an idiot. And then, and then he says, well, what does it take to get into your school? And the teacher says, well, you have to have certain SAT scores. You have to have a certain GPA, you know, list of things. Probably a lot of money because Christian schools are not funded by the state, right? And, and he goes, so it's harder for somebody to get into your school than it is to get into heaven. And he says, yeah. And, of course, laugh track goes off. And, ha, 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 what, what an idiot. I'm like, I don't really get the joke. Right? And I think there's two very important things that we see. First of all, this, this, this comedian already has some worldview or, or some preconceived notion of what it takes to get into heaven. Even if he doesn't believe in heaven. Right? Everyone just kind of thinks it's clouds and harps and good people or something, you know? Or like the punchline for a really funny joke or something. And, and he's saying, you're ridiculous. It's not that easy to get into heaven, to believe in Jesus. I mean, you at least got to like drive kind of the speed limit and like not cheat on your taxes or something. Like there at least has to be something like that. No, it's just believe in Jesus. I think also this comedian doesn't see the need for it. Why do I need Jesus in my life? Why do I need Jesus to get me into heaven? I can do it on my own. I'm a cool dude. And we all think we are. We all have our own set of rules that we break, but we don't really, you know, because I did it because I was tired or I was hungry. So, you know, I'm exempt, but so-and-so, you know, schmo or something. And the second part of, of this story that I think is, is vitally important to knowing the 411, knowing the information, is he says, he says, you know, is this really all it is? And he says, yeah. Because I would be tempted to say, well, yeah, but see, if you believe in Jesus, that means that you also have to do this. You got to do this, you know. And he's just simply, no, you just got to believe in Jesus. And that was what it needed. And I think that, that, that when we hear the word radical, we, we might get preconceived ideas of, you know, violence, different things like that, religious radicals. And then you think of cults and you think of weird or crazy or maybe annoying or something like you saw it on TV or something. And then when you think of like the evangelical Christian, or at least this guy does, he thinks uneducated and stupid. Because it's that YouTube phenomenon where we can just say, yeah, you got to do this, this, and this. And, and we, we don't really know what we believe. We, we can't really, not debate, but, but explain the word of God to somebody. We just believe. That's all you need. It's like, well, yeah, that's all you need, but... We, we want to tell people about it. I want somebody to know how great God is. And if I just say, he's great, be like, well, why? Or how is he great? Uh, you should come to my church, because they'll tell you there, you know? And, and, and Peter, he just busts out scripture. He, he just does it. And what's awesome about that is that's what Jesus did, right? When he's tempted in the, in the desert by, uh, by Satan after not eating, he just quotes scripture, and I think there's something valid in that if both Peter and Jesus do it. So, so I think that we, we need to really be able to hit all these or else we're going to miss somewhere. If we don't have God's direction in our life, then all this stuff is in vain. If we have God's direction in our life with no works, then we probably don't have God's direction in our life. And 
If we're not able to do the shout out for Jesus, then we're just nice, cool people. And if we don't know the information, then we're just running around being irritating or something. But there's still more room. And I'm all about efficiency. So there's more. I believe that we need to have Jesus be our qualifier. Jesus needs to be the qualification to all of this. See, in verse 13, it says this, Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and begun to recognize them as having been with Jesus. See, they're uneducated and untrained men, but they are moving in the Spirit. God's will is evident in their life. They're speaking the truth. All these things, and they're saying, how are they doing it? Oh, they were with Jesus. Jesus has changed their life. If we're going to speak openly, if we're going to have this in our life, then Jesus needs to be our qualification. Not how smart we are, not how well we speak, not any of these kind of things. Because I I would love it if when someone really analyzed my life, they said, you know what, really, really the reason... He is, you know, so loving towards so-and-so. is because of Jesus. Oh, that would be awesome. Now, I've hidden behind this verse for quite some time now. Um, because it says, they're uneducated and untrained. So I said, ha! I don't need to go to school. I'll just, you know, Jesus. I just need to know Jesus. The disciples, they didn't go to school. You know, these kind of things. And, and while I think I was right, I think I was wrong from... Uh, the motive behind it? Because I just didn't want to go to school. Let's just be honest. I don't learn very well that way, and I get bored. And God's like, all right, well, if, if you're going to choose that path, then, then really rely on me. Yeah, okay, I got you. Yeah. And then, you know, we start deciding, you know, let's, let's start this college group. Now, this has been in the making for something like a year and a half. Casey and I, basically, when we got married, we said, we should start a college thing in our house. And then we came to the conclusion that we can't start something new. We cannot be the leaders of something else right now. So, you know, we put on the back burners. We, we joined a small group, all this awesome stuff. Then we're like, I think we're ready. And then I'm like, all right, God, I'm supposed to teach college people, even though I spent like 40 hours in college. You know, what do I have that they don't? And God had to say, hey, did I call you to this or no? Ooh. All right. And a couple of Sundays ago, Pastor John was talking, and and one of the things that I felt like God really said to me was, now you're done. You're not allowed to complain or feel like you're not qualified, because if you do, you're not listening to me. God very clearly was saying, it's me. I'm your qualification. Now, conversely, if I'm going to rely on Jesus for my everything, then isn't it more awesome if I went to school and had those, those tools and was able to to speak the truth better or um, know more so that, that God can just call on this information I've learned. Not so I can say, you should listen to me because I have my MDiv, but because, you, you know, you should listen to me because I believe that God is speaking through me. Th- that's it. We need to have our qualification be Jesus. Because we might just be that cool dude. We just might be just another nice person who 
does nice things for people, knows Scripture, oh, that's cool, but they can really point to our lives and say, but truly, you just think you're a nice guy, you took a bunch of speech classes, you know, you're, you're just, you, you just really know how to fire me up, it's not really Jesus. But if we have this awkward last paragraph, and we say, no, yes, I believe I have God's direction in my life, here are the works that I'm doing, I'm not saying it out of any sort of pride or anything like that. It's all about Jesus. And let me show you why. And look at, it's not me, it's really Jesus. You guys following? Now I think that this is radical. And hopefully this changes our mind and we don't think of, of negative terms when it comes to being radical. But that we can really think, you know, how can I blow my mind in compassion? How can I go above and beyond in compassion? How can I think of something so wild and unattainable, but actually go for it like we can attain, attain it and actually doing something about it?